Welcome to Event Experience by Bizabo, the podcast where we bring the best and brightest event experience leaders together to share stories, tips, and lessons learned from creating some of the world's biggest events. I'm Lauren McCullough, Vice President of Brand and Communication here at Bizabo. This week, we're chatting with Julius Solaris. Julius is one of the most influential people in events, well-followed for his research and analysis. He's founded several companies, including EventMB, which was acquired by Skift in 2019 and recently rebranded to Skift Meetings. Today, Julius is the founder of Bold Push, a management consulting agency for the event industry. He is a frequent keynote speaker at events all over the world, including Bizabo's recent Event Experience Summit. In this conversation, Julius gives his take on in-person events, where they stand today, and where they're headed in the coming quarters. We talk about hybrid events and how great content is the key to making these events successful. And we discuss the new frontier of events, Web3, the metaverse, and what event experience leaders need to know right now. This episode is full of useful insights, so let's get to it. Here's Julius and our host, Eric Fisher. This week, I am excited to bring to you Julius Solaris. Julius, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to spend some time with the Visible fam. Yes. So I just saw you in person at the Event Experience Summit in New York City, actually Brooklyn proper. It was great to see you there. I think a lot of people were like, ooh, Julius, he's here. Yay. And, and I was one of those people. But I think a lot of people, either they know your name and they know your work and we don't need to do an introduction here. And I've, and I've already done one pre-conversation in the podcast. But I want to hear it from you. Short synopsis, like what's your superhero origin story in terms of the event industry? And you can hit just the highlight. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's going to be a superhero one. I've done my years in media, founded a website called EventMB, recently rebranded to Skift Meetings as part of the acquisition that was part of the story. They sold it to Skift in 2019. And we've been doing a lot of analysis and well, reporting on event tech and trends and uh, whatever has been happening in the event industry since the advent of mobile apps for events. So that's how old I am. I've been following that. More recently, going into the pandemic, I've took um, kind of a stronger spin on opinion as well. And I guess for a lot of people, they know me just for that now. Like, it's that annoying person on LinkedIn that comes off with uh, sort of, you know, incendiary type of comments sometimes with the objective of stimulating discussion, pride myself of being sort of uh, an icebreaker for conversations that need to happen within the industry. So I use LinkedIn and Twitter in most cases to do that. I've been involved in this industry. This is my family and my community. I mean, the reason why I, I have a job and I, I was able to move here to the U.S. from Italy, where I'm originally from. So yeah, I, I owe a lot to the event industry. So my approach is usually how can we make it better? How can we take care of the people that are within the industry? And also looking at how can we be better at what we do? How can we take advantage of the stuff that is happening around? It's great to hear that. And, and from what I've seen in terms of those posts that some people might say are causing trouble or bringing up questions that, oh, that's hard to answer. I see it as you're doing a, a philosopher approach, a Socratic method. You're asking those questions that need to be asked. And even if it's maybe to get a knee-jerk reaction, 
in order to start a dialogue, it's still got a purpose, like you just said. I mean, I feel there's something intrinsic about then people, whether they're suppliers or then planners, you know, then professionals, as we call them. There's something inherent about being extremely nice and welcoming and incredibly embracing of everybody and everyone. But that, that comes with problems sometimes when it's about saying, actually, no, it's not like that. So there's almost like a resistance to create friction uh, in our industry. And, and, and I get it, right? Uh, they want their clients to be happy. They want uh, their attendees to be happy. Negativity doesn't go well with events, right? Somebody has to bring up some to more difficult to discuss topics, not necessarily with controversy, but in a spirit of talking about stuff like mental health, diversity, sustainability, all these topics that are actually not straightforward and like very complex to, to tackle. And I want to learn as much as the next person uh, because I'm not an expert in diversity and inclusion. I'm not an expert in sustainability, not an expert in a lot of stuff, but I want to ask the question, people that are experts, and we do have a lot of those in the industry, can actually share what is the path we need to follow here, right? outside of the agenda of different players. What should we, how should we approach this? You bring up diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we just did an episode on that topic, not as experts, but as, like you're saying, people trying to move the needle and ask the right questions and have the dialogue about improving the situation across the board. Quick plug, if anybody's interested in that episode, it's the one before this one in the feed for this podcast. So, Thank you for bringing that up. You yeah, mentioned that. You did yeah. an awesome job, to be honest, with your event in terms like you made me think. Uh, your event made me think as a speaker uh, when you mentioned the different learning styles that uh, we have and how you cater for that uh, with obviously live interpretation, closed captions, and all the different formats. Probably you can speak more to those because I was like very concentrated in my session. So I just uh, heard it in the background. But that made me think because in the past, Pre-pandemic, I used to say no to participating uh, in panels with all white males. And I think in the future, I'm going to say no to participating in events that don't have accessibility ADA practices in place for virtual and hybrid. Or even like later on, I would say, because I know we're still in a moment of stress, but like I would anticipate in a couple of years time saying no to events that don't have a hybrid option because like you're essentially excluding people from the experience. So that would be the next evolution of how we need to change the um, approach that event professionals have to these topics by making a choice as attendees and speakers. Well, you mentioned the H word, and we'll definitely talk about hybrid a little bit later. But first, I want to talk in person. Obviously, right now, I want to do the current state of the union, in a, in a sense, of the event industry, according to Julius. And right now, as we record this in the latter half of the first half of 2022, event professionals, event experience leaders have been through a lot in the past two to three years now. We seem to be at this point in entering into the summer of 2022 in a place where in-person events are making a, let's just say a comeback. There are more of them happening. There are more of them being put on and people, maybe not to the attendance level they used to be, but people have been cooped up. They want to be out there. Does this mean that we can now do away with virtual and hybrid? Is in-person, quote, air quotes, back to take over again? 
This is a loaded question. And unfortunately, I wish it was um, a linear type of progression in terms of saying, all right, pandemic, no pandemic, we go back to the good things that we used to do and all that in-person amazingness that we used to be involved with. It's not as straightforward as that. I think there's still a lot of uncertainty, unfortunately. Why? First off, because it was, I was expecting for in-person to be this strong right now because that's what's happened in 2021 during summer. And I think there are a lot of planners look at the trends and said, listen, if there's a safe time to do an event, this is going to be the window where at least like we can safely bat that we can host an in-person experience. So I feel that a lot of people made that calculation. And so those are the results, but not to the extent that we're seeing, not to the extent that we're seeing going into the fall. It's like the conversation that I'm having in my daily practice as a consultant to a lot of tech companies and to event planners. I see that there's a lot of planning that goes into the second part of 2022 for in-person. Now. That's amazing on paper for a lot of people that lost business. I can see that, that they're ecstatic. But at the same time, there's a lot of sort of a preoccupation for the fact that a concern for the state of workers' availability and how tough it is to get hold of people and staff to work at the event and within locations of the events, hotels, understaffed, and all of that. There's considerable concern about the inflation and a potential recession next year. When that happened in the past, events are usually the first to be impacted again. So keep that in mind. I'm telling you now because I saw that when it happened in 2008, 2009. So events were the first to go, first budget item to be cut. So again, we're not out of the deep waters here. It's a tough one. And also there's an incredibly unstable situation in Europe to add to that. More scare. With monkeypox, I don't want. I don't want to talk about that. I mean, I really don't want to talk about that because I don't want it to be an issue. I hope it's not going to be an issue. I'm in denial for now. But you know, to be honest, it's like it's still uncertain. And I feel that what I want the audience to focus about is in Europe and in Asia. Some people have been in lockdown for like a year, like over the past two years. They've been locked down at home. So there's a lot of homecoming feeling with these in-person events that is happening right now. Now, the big question is when this is all done and dusted and we've all hugged each other, oh my God, this was amazing. Finally, in-person, okay, what next? We're running a 50, 60% capacity of in-person events. Where is this 40% missing? Is it international travel? Is it people that just decided they don't want to go to events anymore? So there's a lot of question marks. So rapidly evolving situation, my, my suggestion is to stay nimble, stay flexible, be ready to change the plan within reason. A few episodes ago, we were talking with Orson Francescone, and he was talking about the, the pivot that the FT Live Financial Times event did and that they learned. And his takeaway, basically, spoiler alert, he said they are moving forward with a digital first strategy and they will add in person as it's applicable and available and makes sense to do so. What do you think about that? I think it makes sense for the financial times to have a strategy like that. Why? Because they're a media company. A lot of media companies are thinking like that because they have a lot of affinity in terms of the audience. The audience is already used to consume 
digital content in some form, right? You have subscribers, so there's a lot of intentions of, in terms of subscribing to that content and consume it virtually or online. So virtual events for media companies as well as tech companies, it's a natural extension of their already present digital uh, footprint. Now, the question is, what is happening with those that don't have that digital footprint? They don't have an audience. Or those type of events that are very based on the human interaction, where content is not as important. Think of exhibition and trade shows. I mean, the content part was just like starting to flourish within those pre-pandemic. So... It's been a tough proposition for them to pivot to virtual. They've done it unsuccessfully in most cases. So it's, it's very tough for them. So it's very vertical related. I think tech, education, or media have a lot to do in terms of virtual and have been a hybrid event strategy, as they call it. So a mix between virtual, in-person, or synchronous hybrid, meaning two events at the same time or two audiences, one online and one offline, just to... So we get the definition out because I know, I know we got a question. Yeah, but we have to define hybrid. So <laughs> not from you, but from at least the people that I've talked in the past. I think again, and let's move away from definitions of, uh, as well. I think like right now, the concept of planning events has never been more fluid, and really we should shy away from giving definitions. I've had Twitter fights on whether a pre-recorded video is an event or not, right? <laughs> because some people like if you look at the Apple. Uh, developer conference, the Apple keynote, it's all pre-recorded video and they call it an event. It's interesting. I don't want to judge that, but you know, if there's a live component, why not? I think we need to be inclusive uh, of that concept and the creators are changing that. In the future, it's going to be the metaverse maybe, or some new platforms, new ways of doing events. Yeah, without putting boundaries to it, I think we got to be ready to engage whenever, wherever, however people want to engage with our event our target, not what everybody else is doing, our attendees. That's very important, right? Yes. It's based on your attendees and, and you should know your data. You should know your demographic, your core customer, all of the good data there. I'm glad you brought up the Apple event because that just started me thinking, yeah, you know, it is pre-recorded. I've really enjoyed those pre-recorded, high-produced, I'll, I'll just say it, events that Apple has done throughout the pandemic. And I'll say event because there's an interactive community on Twitter, tweeting about it back and forth with each other, commenting. If that's not an event, it's almost like a live action audience to a movie. But who's to say that's not one version of events moving forward? Yeah. It's like watching Game of Thrones and tweeting with the hashtag back in the days right. or whatever big event. But maybe it's just because I miss Steve Jobs and I miss that, that keynote, right? Style, which made uh, Apple events iconic. And that keynote was full of people wowing in the audience and things not necessarily working sometimes and feeling the emotion uh, in Steve Jobs' voice when he was announcing some stuff. And I feel that I had this thought during your event that was incredibly well produced. It was like a whole set of TV, almost TV producers. I think we always have to be careful, which is not what happened with your event specifically because it was made by event people and so we get it but in some cases we got to be careful with the overproduction of things because otherwise we miss that live component of vulnerability that events need to have and like getting things wrong and having a mishap or 
having a speaker that is emotional, having all of that is part of the live experience that we co-create during an event. So if you take away that co-creation part, if you take away and it becomes all like flatline type of rehearsed 15 times, then it's kind of like, I don't know, I'm not saying that we're going to be sloppy, but we appreciate that about events. We appreciate that human nature. We don't have to take the human component. An increased production value without losing the human aspect to it. Totally. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. yeah. You said it better. So do you think that we still need really large, say 5,000 person in-person events or does virtual replace that? Or is it yes and or both? What's your thinking? I mean, I, I think you've probably got a million different answers to that multi-pronged question there. It's funny because like you mentioned, really large five, 6,000 events can actually be really small. That's true. Some That's vertical. true. So size like is very relative when it gets to events. My take on that is that we either are going to need extremely large events. So I think there's a need for them. So we're all going to IMAX. We're going to IMAX in Frankfurt in a short time. I don't know when the podcast probably is going to be out already when we're already been at IMAX. We go to IMAX in Frankfurt. We go to IMAX in Vegas. Why? Because one answer, like it's not about the event. It's not about the content. It's maybe about the community, but it's because everybody's there. That's the answer to it. Everybody's going there. And that's the humongous primordial uh, almost archetypical reason why we attend events. There's one is well, one of the major push to attend events is because who's going to be there? I want to be there, FOMO and all of that. I think there's a reason why we want to have these big gatherings because especially in a sea of virtual opportunities to connect, we need that in-person experience to be very unique and really uh, to captivate that serendipitous opportunity to bumped into people that we don't know we could meet. We need that size. Otherwise, like a smaller event, you kind of already know who's going to go there. It's tougher. Let's say a mid-range event, maybe a small intimate event, like 20, 30, 40, 50 people. That's another way to go about it, right? Because it's more intimate, like I can share more. It's a different proposition, right? It's about connection. Maybe the ones in the middle are the ones that are going to struggle. The ones that are not too big, not too small, in between. It's going to be a tough proposition for these events because a lot of people are going to make the decision, all right, can't be bothered to attend these many events. I need to stay home with my family. That's becoming important. I can't travel just for one day. That's not going to cut it for me. Maybe I'll attend virtually. That's it. I'm going to go to the big one and that's my only one. I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket and see what happens. I don't know if you're familiar with Noise Trade, but it's uh, it's essentially years ago it was founded or partially founded by basically a blue collar musician, and I'm familiar with them. And the story here goes: they realized that they could drop in and do a house show in strategic locations across the U.S. based on the data they had collected from their fan base. So you, you sign up for the awesome. newsletter, you say where you're at, you've got a zip code. He can then correlate and say, okay, where are the biggest bang for my buck places for me to fly in minimal cost, do essentially an event like you just were talking about a 30 to maybe 50 person event, which is part of the being flexible that you were mentioning moving forward, high impact, but also high connection, high touch, high C and be seen and human interaction 
and so forth. And so once that started to move that direction, they were able to see that like their concerts or again, micro concert, if you will, were a hit and they were able to yeah. plan so many more of those and even fly in, fly out home, fly in, fly out home versus go on tour and be on the road for weeks on end and not have a life. And you know, what you're describing, this is not necessarily an outlier. This is something that your audience, the listeners can do right now. Pick up the phone, call the visible representative. I know you guys are strong about data and ask for help in terms of telling me, like I've done a bunch of virtual events. Where did people connect from? Is there an opportunity to go in new geographies based on previous attendance patterns so that I minimize the risk of going in person. That's an example how you can use data strategically to be more intentional about in person without the risk of will they come. So if you go, if you know that a thousand people from Indianapolis kind of like are so connecting to your events, well, it's a no brainer, right? You're close to that area. You can at least be certain that a lot of people are going to respond. You'd be amazed how sometimes that's changed from the past. As people, many people relocated, now they can work remotely. And also second and third tier destinations are becoming incredibly important to collect that kind of roadshow mentality where you can have uh, more opportunity to connect individuals in person and then draw them together online in a platform or with continuity in a community, however you want to do it. It's definitely a way forward for data and it, it flexes the power of that data and maintains flexibility like you were talking about. Sure. Yeah. So curiously enough, and actually I'm going to add this since I want to move into the hybrid area here. So that same musician that I was talking about was doing shows that you would purchase a ticket and attend the concert virtually throughout the pandemic and offering it at a, a reduced rate because it was air quotes again, just virtual. It's a different experience. It may not be the same experience. I don't want to argue that per se, although we can. I'm curious, what are your thoughts in terms of hybrid moving forward right now that we've got a virtual component, we've got the in-person component. Hybrid often means doing both of those at the same time in tandem. There's also the potential to do them both separately what are your thoughts on that? I've, you know, there's it's no secret that the future is hybrid has been a slogan of uh, many companies that want to push their agenda, concerned that they were going to lose uh, the virtual footprint that they accumulated during the pandemic. We've got to be honest about that. And I've seen it firsthand in my previous experiences. And uh, I know how we need to stay relevant. And for event tech companies, it's an incredible tough to navigate environment. There is some reality to the fact that uh, planning a hybrid event with the experience that we had over the past two years of attending event events online, there's a lot of higher expectations in terms of the participation online. And therefore you cannot just have a flat camera and expect everybody to be, to spend a thousand dollars to attend a conference online. Uh, if there's no engagement, there's no interaction, there's no production value, there's no design, there's no dedicated MCs, there's all of that, right? Obviously that becomes a tough proposition for many events that now already we're running on tight margins. The margins are growing smaller because of cost and inflation and, um, even more so now with that one budget, you have to produce two events. So it's a tough proposition for a lot of people. But on the other end, there's a, a bunch of people that looked into this and spent a 
a lot of time and I can vouch to that uh, because I did, you know, when I was previously uh, working with tech companies, uh, I dug deeper in this. I can tell you there, there is opportunity in this. There is opportunity to make more money. There is opportunity to, to decrease the cost in some instances and if you get it right. Now, the problem with this is that, as I said earlier, hybrid is not necessary for everybody. So we talked about how it is more suitable for some verticals where attending, consuming content online is um, already a pattern, a behavior that your audience has. So media, tech, education, they're used to that. It's more difficult in other environments, but why? Let's ask ourselves that question. I feel that sometimes the problem is like with the content specifically, and that's why a lot of events struggle with hybrid and they blame it on hybrid and not people are not interested to attend an event virtually. But why? Is your content worth in it, worthy of like worth of being consumed online or not? Are people attending for your content or are they just coming to the in-person event because they want to network? And yeah, you think that maybe you put together the best content ever, but really it's not. And like you're doing things as they used to pre-pandemic because I get it. A lot of us event planners said during the pandemic, there's nothing like face-to-face and face-to-face will always win. But let me tell you, face-to-face pre-pandemic wasn't perfect at all. Like we were attending crap events that we didn't like, that was boring to death, a waste of time, bad coffee, awful buffets. We've seen it all. Let's not say that this event industry pre-pandemic was this perfect thing where everything was amazing and we were closing business every day. It wasn't like that at all. And honestly, a lot of those problems have been carried over during the pandemic in virtual events and now into hybrid. So if hybrid sometimes is not working for you, I will recommend to take a serious look at how you design the content for your event. Because I attend hybrid events or fully virtual events today that have an incredible compelling content offering. And to me, it's like accessing uh, a premium YouTube only almost, right? Almost like don't care about going into the live event. I go for the replays. I go to spend the time. Or sometimes if I go to the in-person experience, I spend a lot of time now working, but I know that when I go back home, I can catch up on the content that I missed. So there's a lot of opportunity like that. And let's not forget, let's not forget about sustainability and the fact that our world is burning. So like, seriously, this is like the time to make something about it. And hybrid is the direct solution to that. And if you're ignoring it by being polarized towards one end or the other, You're essentially like saying, I don't care. And that's a problem, especially as soon as you're going to impact younger generations. Maybe with all the generations, you're getting a pass, but that's not going to last. So hopefully that doesn't come as a threat. Time to, to, you know, have a proper look uh, and deep look inside our practice and how we do events. Everything's up for grab right now, and it's it's now's the perfect time to to reevaluate to to take a hard look. You said pre-pandemic, and I, I as you were talking about your experience with networking at an in-person event and knowing you could go watch content later. That's something that I did too, and because the magic's in the hallways, often that's what we used to. That was the phrase we used, and uh, my thought was though we were never thinking of that online content 
as online content only. It was mostly pre-recorded or recorded sessions at the in-person component, and then it became the virtual ticket. Now that's changed due to hybrid, where everything's all meshed together. But you're saying essentially, we need to be asking ourselves, what are we doing the event for and who we are doing the event for, and definitely upping our game in terms of the content, as well as, especially when it comes to, this is not to leave in-person out, but especially when it comes to the different modality of hybrid and virtual, when it comes to interactive elements and engagement opportunities. Absolutely. See, like hybrid seems to be working extremely well, well where attendees are forced to attend. It's a shame, right? So if you think about medical congresses and continuing education, they need to attend those events. Like they need to show up there because they need to keep their certifications, whatever. That applies to a lot of associations and verticals and stuff like that. And it's a shame, right? Because we're missing out on the opportunity to create, you know, everybody's going back to content these days, right? There's the, this talk about the creator economy. And I think as event professionals, like we're holding that power in our hands to be the catalysts of all these voices, pull them together and create incredible impact on social media beyond what, what we can even expect by just means of congregating the top voices, the, the underheard voices, the new voices that are coming out as part of this new creative revolution. And so we have this major opportunity to take advantage of and it's sad to see how we have to rely on like certification credits to get people to attend. Again, no stress. I don't mean to come across as patronizing here because I know how difficult it is to plan events. I know how incredibly tough it is to manage all the moving parts, making sure that things happen and everybody's safe. And there's serious concerns right now. And I know sometimes content is left last or who can we put there where's the speaker that we don't pay oh or let's give this to sponsors without policing what they do you know what i mean there's a lot of that in content planning but i feel that at the end of the day that's the product that's the core product that the boss says yes to the boss says yes to the content then you go to get i don't want to say drunk but to have fun, let's put it that way. That's why that, that's what motivates you. But what motivates the boss is the content. So you gotta be aware of that and always step that up and make it relevant for people. Yeah, you can't ignore the content when it comes to your event experience that you're creating because in a lot of realities, the, the content is what's left afterwards. Now you do have your memories and you do have your experiences of the event experience which the content is part of. But again, it's the lasting thing that you can still revisit after the event proper in the time window that it was launched and executed is over. As you said, the magic hub happens in the hallways. I think like our recommendation for the planner is to mash up the two things, create that a liminal approach to events and liminality is the concept of bumping into people into outside of our comfort zone. So think about moving from one session to the other, what's going to happen in one session, you know what's going to happen in the next, but you don't know what's going to happen in between. And that concept, it's what we refer to as serendipity, but let's not be lazy as planners. Let's plan around that and use it to our advantage, combine the two things. So horizontal sessions where people can discuss content 
and get together. Less breakouts, more workshops, more let's work together to do these type of things, more brain dates as you did during your event, right? More of those opportunities to collaborate and get together and have a networking that is not necessarily around tequila or mojitos, but more around how can you help me to do my job better or how can we connect to do something together? Because that's the incredible power of events, right? You meet your next business partner, you meet your next partner, you meet whatever. Uh, that's the connection that we remember about events. Yeah. You mentioned earlier the creative revolution and even the creator economy that's booming these days. And I know that in the last few months, you've been doing a lot of participating in what's closely associated with that, the Web3 communities and events. And I'm curious, I know that you've got some thoughts here when it comes to events and Web3. Any highlights you can give us? To be honest, I'm just a student. There's people that are way more experienced and understand the dynamics way more than I do. Since I just started my own venture consulting companies, I am I feel like I need to be in the know about what's next. And I spent some time researching and reading. My, my understanding of what's happening is still very uh, superficial is not necessarily in depth. It's good enough to understand a little bit. I know the dynamics of events, so I can tell you what applies and what doesn't. So I feel that, to be honest, the sort of creators are probably one of the biggest threats to event planners right now. Because they, they own the audience and like planners usually own the audience and like they pull together speakers to you get that audience. So, you know, if you think about the example of the anti- so then planner figure like a la Tony Robbins with his own audience, motivational speaker, that's evolving into the creator part where these communities are coming together because they connect constantly online around Twitch, around uh, YouTube, around Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. They come together constantly. It's always the same people. They are on Discord. Um, so they're talking to each other. And we know being in events for 15 uh, plus years, that social tension that is created online can only be relieved by meeting in person. That's a, a fundamental basis that if you operate by this, you will uncover a lot of opportunities for you. The more tension you build online, the more connection you build online, the more frustration people feel and more need to come uh, to, to meet in person. We've seen it with social media when we had conversation about social media being a threat to events in 2010, I remember those when we were saying like, we can't use hashtags at events because this is going to cannibalize event attendance. Like the, those were the chats we were having. Oh, wow. Can I remember you imagine, that now. Can you imagine it's like the complete opposite is happening, right? FOMO, like seeing everybody sharing pictures from the event. Like you can't, like I'm having conversations right now on the planning of IMAX and we're planning to do a walk at 7 a.m. or four or five people. I have people chatting on it and say, FOMO, I want to be here. How can we do that? And like, so now we're like synchronizing it across the, across Europe and people are going to walk at different times. I mean, just to come up with something, but what I'm telling you is that the tension is real. So these communities now have, there's so much tension that has been created, exacerbated by the pandemic. So there's a lot of need. And so these creators, on top of everybody, obviously, Gary Vaynerchuk and the VCon, everybody's referring to. Great case study for event planners. A lot of event people attended. I've seen replying um, to my updates on Web3. 
And that you get in only if you're a member of the community. And that includes having an NFT. I'm not going to go into the details of that. There's going to be tokens to be used to get in. So I guess the, what we're talking about here is creating almost like airline super VIP club where all you can get into the room only if you're a VIP. And there's a lot of frustration and exclusivity to that. And people are freaking out and they want to attend at all costs. But like creators have the audience. Why? Because they have the content because they have the community and they pull it together in a nice fashion. That's what, to me, Web3 is going to be about. The connection of content and community where independent creators are going to be able to have their own metaverse, their own Discord, their own token, their own NFT. But the monetization model, when it gets to that, I mean, a lot of these chats, when it gets to that, other than the NFT and the token, it's events. It's only events. Like, it's like for the music industry, these people like don't get any money from Spotify. They make it from events, right? That's, that's yeah. it. So the go-to monetization model for create the creator economy is events, virtual, in-person, whatever, but still events. So keep that in mind because the opportunity there is massive for you and then professional that is looking at the next four to five years. You mentioned the metaverse. I'm curious, where do you think we are as an events industry and event experience leaders in regard to the metaverse? I've got to be careful about what I say here because I don't want to be picked like in five years time if somebody's showing a clip from this podcast. Like, yeah, you said that it wasn't going to happen. Look at it now. So I feel that at the current state of affairs, like the current state of technology that we have today, and I want to make that sort of premise because I think it's an important one. The applicability for the metaverse or the concept of the metaverse as Meta is implementing it, as Decentraland is implementing it, and, and all these new platforms that are popping up, even like the standalone universes that a lot of metaverse uh, event platform are creating right now. There's a lot of those popping up all over the place. For the business events community, which is the community I belong to, I don't belong to the music community, events community. I don't belong to the sporting events community. I don't belong to the fashion shows community. So to the business events community, I see it extremely difficult for people in the next two years to meet on a on metaverse style type of platform with avatars type of interaction, whether with visors or with 2D interaction on a computer. Why? Because uh, to me, I always go back to this friend of mine you know, from Miami who's a you know, planner for large association meetings in the medical industry, so 50,000 members, or whatever, cardiology, you can, whatever sort of medical application you can think of. So they have a number of clients, 50,000, 70,000 type of uh, events. And they told me how they struggled during the pandemic to get these people to click on a Zoom link to join a call. So now you explain to me how these people are gonna get, put a visor on themselves or go and move with an avatar in a 2D environment. I don't see it happening anytime soon. Now, the younger generations in four or five years time, yeah, of course, they will be used to Roblox. They will have, there's more excitement. Those are the ones that are excited about right now in the music industry in the fashion industry, because music and fashions are transient and they have to take advantage of whatever it's cool right now. And that's cool right now. 
Will it stick for them? I don't know. I remember the mini disc in videos, music videos, because it was cold, but we're not using it. So until we get the iPhone of the metaverse, we'll see what happens. That's just what I was just going to say that you were talking and I was like, yeah, you know what? I think we need a democratized piece of technology like smartphones. Remember, it used to be flip phones and Blackberries. And then nobody remembers that anymore other than old people, which I'm counting myself as part of. And I think it's going to take one, the technology and the software combined with the hardware to continue to advance, but also it's going to take a ubiquitous technology application hardware wise for it to be that everybody has the opportunity to do it where you can do like we take for granted now with ubiquitous texting and even FaceTime and taking a picture and instantly putting it up and the entire world can see it. That's where, and again, I'm not going to venture a guess as to where that, when that's going to happen and and eventually when that would even be applicable towards events. I just know events are going to try and do that sooner rather than later is my guess as it's possible, but it may be fuzzy till we get there. Listen, one, one piece of advice to everybody listening, you listening here, like just right behind you, you have an hashtag on the wall. Let me tell you a story about this. When Twitter came up, I remember like I was very engaged on in LinkedIn. We had a big group for event planners. We were discussing like the rise of social media for events. And I was telling in a discussion, I think that hashtags are going to become incredibly important for events going forward. And people were like, say, yeah, maybe for some type of events, as I'm seeing right now today for fashion and music, maybe for that, but I don't see hashtag being used in business events ever. So I've had heated conversations about that in the past. So can you imagine that in retrospective today feels like crazy, right? Yeah. Everybody's like, events are called with hashtags in the name, which is crazy. So I think the open approach to this is very important right now and not being dismissive because I see a lot of that. I see a lot of people that whenever I talk about Web3 and the metaverse and NFT, they make funny jokes, commenting, like dismissing. And that to me speaks like fear. Like you're afraid that this is going to take over. You could be in trouble if you don't get it. That was confirmed to me when I put together this like small guide about Web3 and events. And all of a sudden I have 600 requests to share it. I have to manually send the guide to 600 people because I wasn't expecting it. And I was like, yeah, let me know if you want a copy. I'm sending a direct message to everybody. So I didn't expect, I thought like maybe like 20, 30 people, like looking at the volume, but that tells me like how we need to be more honest with how we approach these problems and say, listen, I don't know crap about this. I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to make my decisions in terms of, is it going to be useful for my event? Yes. No, maybe, but like at least learning more stuff like protocols for events are just becoming very important. They're popping up. They're becoming like the way to testify that you've attended an experience is like having and recording that moment forever. So there's like very exciting stuff that is happening on the background and people that are working on it. Events are the, the core of it. So yeah, I'm going to consensus in Austin. I'll let you know how it goes. I think I hear you saying, ultimately, as event experience leaders, we need to, at this point in time and moving forward, we need to remain open-minded. We've got to remain flexible and we need to continue to ask the questions and assess what we're doing and why we're doing it. And, and that's what you're doing. You're asking those questions. There's people like you can start on TikTok today 
and be incredibly famous and do extremely well. You can start on Twitter today and be incredibly relevant and incredibly like make a lot of a ton of money and revenue for your company, whatever, like coming, like being first doesn't mean being successful. So the fact that you missed out on Bitcoins or you missed out on the metaverse and you're not the first early adopter of it doesn't mean Jack, like what you should be here, what you should care about is to understand it. And once you're ready for it, get in it and do it properly, because it's going to be just another medium. The rules are always the same. People are always the same. Yeah, man. But we don't have to be. We can evolve. We can, again, we can become more open-minded. We can become more flexible. If anything, that's the, what the pandemic taught us. We've got to be flexible and continue to do so. Julius, it's been awesome talking with you. I can't believe we've gone this long. I would love to, not that you need it, direct more people towards what you're doing currently. Where can people find out more about you and connect with you and all these questions that you're asking? For sure. Julius at bold push.com. So Bold Push is my consultancy agency for event leaders, whether it's event tech or large event uh, owners or portfolio owners, where I help them with their marketing strategy or their content strategy, depending on the client or the go-to-market strategy to just make sense of this new world and uh, help them to thrive and connect with the right people or to Julius on Twitter, Julius Solaris on LinkedIn, always happy to connect with all of you and have like some, some, yeah, challenge, be challenged by your opinions. I love a good challenge and people coming in. So yeah, just reach out to me if you agree, if you don't, I'd love to have a conversation. Perfect. And uh, I will link up to everything we just mentioned and throughout this conversation in the show notes for this episode. Julius, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Eric. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Julius, for joining us on Event Experience. And thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, we would love to hear it. Connect with us on social and subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you're listening right now. Share the show with your colleagues and friends. We really appreciate it. You can find transcripts of each episode, as well as key takeaways on bizabo.com slash podcasts. On behalf of the team, thank you. We'll gather again soon for a new episode of Event Experience. Mm-hmm.